Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Well, we're back in action and sad to say that we're here for our second season finale. Um, uh, as I mentioned last week, we will be doing some small summer projects, a couple of round tables with previous guests and new folks alike. So if you're just itching for your fix of triple R, don't worry, we will have a couple of specials in the summer and then we should be back in the fall for a third season. We've got some ideas brewing in the chamber, but before we get to all that, we need to finish off the second season. And so I figured a good way to do that is to discuss some of the things that many of the listeners at home deal with every day in peer-to-peer relationships, especially with things kind of opening back up uh, after the coronavirus. Uh, Those relationships are going to become a little bit more uh, predominant in society. And to help me do that, we have the still currently Dean of Student Affairs and newly elected VP of Student Affairs, uh, Del Beatty. Thank you so much for for joining us for our second in-person episode in a row. Yeah, this is exciting. And when I received the invitation several months ago, I thought, whoa, it's going to be here before we know it. And I was hoping that the pandemic would be winding down. And so we're excited. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, glad to have you here. And uh, things are winding down. We're, we're doing a little bit better. I got my very first dose of the Fauci ouchie yesterday. <laughs> I love that. And my shoulder's a little sore, but we're doing okay. So uh, it, it's good. Things are things are looking up. And as a result, we're going to see a lot more of returning to uh, quote unquote normal. And for college students, that means a lot more fraternizing. Uh, before we talk about all that, I'm hoping you can just give us a little bit of information about yourself, kind of like who you are, where you're from, how you ended up here and what sure. got you so interested in the position you find yourself in now? Sure, that'd be great. So I've worked actually in the field of student affairs for about 30 years. Uh, Started out actually my higher education journey as a student here at Dixie State and then transferred um, back then junior college had to transfer. Went to SUU, got my bachelor's degree there, did a couple master's degrees in education, education administration, and now doctoral work at at North Central University in organizational leadership. So um, Spent my entire career, over 30 years, in student affairs and worked as an advisor to student government, working a lot with different clubs and organizations, working with some recruitment, both nationally and internationally, um, productions, performances, that kind of thing with recruitment, and then became an assistant dean and then a dean for Utah State University Eastern, and then the last 13 years here as a dean of students until two weeks ago, and now the new <laughs> vice president of student affairs. So that's my career. That's the final step of the career. So three <laughs> decades in higher education, I did it. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and that's all it takes, like six degrees and 30 years of, uh, of, of, of hard yeah, work. Now if I could just pay it all off, right? right. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you uh, you are really like tried and true. Like this has been the career goal. A lot of my guests on here, uh, they talk about, oh, well, I just kind of fell into it. But it seems like you were yep. more, were, were you, were you uh, very involved with student government in high school as well? Yeah. So what happened, I was did some student leadership things in high school, but really fell in love with it when I got to college. My dean of students here at Dixie State, his name was Bill Fowler. And he had a tremendous impact on my life, as did Sally Cooper, who became one of my mentors in this field. And because of the experience that I had here on campus, I thought, gosh, I want to do that for other kids. I want them to understand the importance of being being engaged co-curricularly and having that strong connection to their campus and yeah. really making the most of their journey. So that, yeah. that was intentional on my part. 
Yeah, and of course, we first met in the process of one of those stories, and I think that things were resolved in, in a really uh, amicable way. So that's always fun, and that's not a story for this show. But <laughs> what is a story for this show is sort of uh, the way that students like that intermingle with each other and get to know each other. And um, I guess I kind of want to start there. St. George, I would not call it a small town, uh, but it has a very small town, sleepy vibe to it. I grew up in a small town. Um, Metuchen, New Jersey, 9,000 people. My graduating high school class was, I think, 133 kids. Small town. Um, and in a lot of towns that are small or that have that small town vibe, we often see people with these very tightly knit friend groups, mm -hmm. people who they, you know, they follow through middle school, high school, and then, you know, whatever happens after that. Um, and so for many kids, which is to say for many adult students who come here to DSU, this is one of their first opportunities to meet people who aren't from their hometown, people from out of town. So I'm hoping you can start us off by talking a little bit about the importance of making those college friends and what that does for us as, as emerging adults. Absolutely. You know what's really interesting is I tell students multiple times throughout the year that their greatest friends are probably going to be those friends that they make during their time in college. Mm. Because they come in having had the high school experience, many of them in a small town, where they think, oh, my best friend in high school is going to be my best friend forever. But then you go through some really interesting, fun experiences in college, whether that's with a new roommate that you meet in college, someone that you meet in a club or organization on a, an intramural team, you know, working for the yearbook or radio station, television station, um, you know, in student government, on a homecoming committee, in a performance group, whatever, mm. those become kind of the more lifelong friends. And so I like to tell kids that I try to teach them a skill that I believe in, that I've heard about, uh, called questioning. So when you meet someone new and you're asking questions and you're getting to know them, try not to immediately turn it back to yourself. Because what happens is you'll say, so, hey, where are you from? And the new students say, oh, I'm from San Diego. And then the student asking the question will often say, oh my gosh, I love San Diego. I've been to San Diego. Right. I know somebody. So now the question is not about the other person anymore. Now it's about me because I'm saying I, I, I. Mm -hmm. So I say, try to practice maybe asking four or five questions about the other person. Don't be creepy and don't be stalking <laughs> them, right? But right. ask some questions and get to know them a little bit so that there's a genuine interest there. Okay, follow-up questions are a good thing. We love follow-up questions on this show. Speaking of follow-up questions, I have one for you. <laughs> um, we talk on this show, we talk mostly about dating relationships, romantic relationships, friends with benefits relationships, a lot of stuff that you would typically um, experience while you're in college. And so, you know, I could have each individual student on this show to kind of break down their dating experience. And in my classes, I talk a lot with my students about what their experiences are like, which I think is important. What I'm wondering is you have more of a macro view of, of student life. So I'm wondering if you can kind of perch from that um, pillar, if you will, if you can explain what you see uh, uh, college dating here at DSU to be like, how does that function under your watching eye? Oh, cool question. First of all, like I mentioned earlier, I've worked in higher ed for a long time. And so dating itself has changed. The generation now, they don't even like to say the word date or mm. dating. Okay. So mm -hmm. for us to be having a conversation about dating, they're freaking out. They say, well, you know, I, I want to hang out. Mm. I'll just hang out. Well, let's just be friends and hang out. The problem with that is if you're not viewing the dating relationship as something you're intentionally doing, for example, 
if a student is going to ask another student out on a date, then some, somebody's assuming that somebody's planning something for them to do. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going into this with no direction, nothing to do. And I've noticed in the past, I would say 15 years, that dating that I saw during the first half of my career has dramatically changed. So now, looking at the big picture, these students, they just want to hang out. And they want to do a lot of times things in just groups and then kind of just see who I end up with, right? Who am I going to be with? And there's not a lot of planning. And so as a result, the relationship gets off to a little bit of a rocky start because there's no strong foundation. Mm -hmm. There's no one saying, hey, I want to be with you. And so I'm planning something for us to do, whatever it is. I mean, here you can, we're going to go on a hike, but we're going to plan where we're going. Sure. We're going to plan where we're eating. We're going to plan what we're doing. You know, so there's, I think that's probably the biggest change that I've noticed. Interesting, interesting. So I, I think about that, that lack of planning too. I think some of it is strategic. I think that uh, when, uh, especially with Gen Zers, uh, people don't really want to nail down or hammer down any one specific type of relationship um, that they're involved in. But I think you touch on a note that we've, we've been through on the show a few times, which is the importance of being very direct um, uh, in terms of your intentions. And if your intentions are unknown, you can be direct about that too, right? You can kind of say, well, yeah, I would like to hang out with you, but I don't really, I don't really have any plans or, or, or big future deals. And so even just expressing that can, can go a long way. Um, I, I want to, I want to kind of stay in the, in that realm. Cause that's of course the thing that I very most much, most like to talk about. Do you see a lot of, um, you said dating has changed. Do you see a lot of traditional, I guess, romantic, exclusive, uh, committed relationships here in high school? Or is it, you're shaking your head now. Is it a little bit more transient? Yeah, so the problem is, is that just generally, I, again, I've noticed, I would say in the last 10 to 15 years, students have become so immersed in technology mm-hmm. that they just don't socialize well. They mm-hmm. don't communicate well and uh, or, or that effectively because they will text someone who's sitting next to them. Well, why don't you just talk to them, right? They're, they're there and they feel more comfortable. And I actually confronted a student and I said, why are you doing that? Why are you asking a question of that person through a text message mm-hmm. when they're just there? They said, well, because then I can like think about my response for a second. I don't have to like immediately respond. I can put it, make, I can read, review what I've written and make sure it's exactly what I want. Mm. So I think that part of what's happening is they're not comfortable in, and so as a result, you going back to your question, do I see a lot of intentional dating and relationships and romantic involvement? No. No, and I think the funny thing is, is that I think everybody wants that. Everybody wants that kind of connection, but they don't know how to do it very well, very effectively. Yeah, and some of the and and the data that I've collected is all from Arizona State. But in those those data, those students have similar patterns of of, of the, these are the things that I want, and I want these very specific things. And I just for the life of me, I I just don't know what strategies can be used uh, to get them. Especially when you talk about students who are in those more casual friends with benefits types relationships, you see them. Um, a lot of them do the thing where they sort of take what they can get, and you know we talked about that on this show, and it's it's actually kind of upsetting. Um, but at the same time, it does leave students open up to, uh, you know, uh, the, the lack of commitment leaves them open to, to more experiences, I would, I would hope at least. So I think that there's some, some give and take there. You know, it's interesting in my job as a dean of students, those students f- will frequently be in my office and really confused mm-hmm. because the, all of a sudden they've 
realize, wow, I really do have feelings for this person. I wasn't mm. intending to, but things have happened. And now he or she is not interested in me. Or they've said, oh, I'm not really, that's, you're, you're feeling that way. I'm not really feeling that way. Right. So then they're sad and they want to drop out of school and I'm not doing well. And I haven't been to class because my boyfriend or girlfriend kind of broke up with me. And then I said, did, did they know that they were your boyfriend or girlfriend? <laughs> oh no, yeah. they had so, no idea. Yeah. So I don't know what mm -hmm. went wrong. Yeah. Oh, and it's so interesting that you mentioned like the importance of attending class. Um, you know, when I teach my classes, I always try and hammer home to my students how important it is to to be there, whether we're doing the virtual thing during COVID or, yep. you know, in person, it's, it's, it's important to show up both physically and mentally. And that kind of leads me to my next question. I never did this, believe it or not, when I was in college, I don't know why I never did it, but I just never did it. But I do see it a lot here. Students will take a class with their partner, with their, uh, with their husband, their wife, their girlfriend, their boyfriend, or just with a friend. For example, I have, I'll have a, a student athlete sign up for the class. And then two days later, right before the ad drop period is over, two more athletes who happen to be on that same team will sign up for the class. And like, I'm not going to call my students out, but you know, I know what's going on, right? They take it, they say, okay, this one seems good. You should take this class with this, right? So, and I take that as a compliment. All right. Tough to get into your classes. <laughs> but um, I worry that taking a class simply because someone you know is already in that class could be helpful in some ways, but also quite harmful. So I'm wondering if you can speak to some of those benefits and drawbacks. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, first of all, if at all possible, I would discourage that mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. First of all, a lot of times, if that's a person you're with a lot already, then you, you kind of need a break so that you can enjoy the time when you're together more, whether you are athletes together or you are romantically involved or friends or even roommates. Sometimes it puts added stress on the relationship that I think is unwise. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, we do have here a large number of, for example, first generation students who it's very expensive. Mm. And th so sometimes they are thinking, gosh, I need to take this class and my roommate does as well or my friend or my boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is. Um, so maybe if we took it together, we could just share a book. Mm. We don't have to buy one book. Oh, okay. And so it, so it's much more complicated. Um, but if at all possible, I discourage it just because I think it gives you something to look forward to. Right. So I can go to class and now when I'm alone with, or with that person later that I'm close to, whether again, it's an athlete or a friend, we can have conversations about what I'm learning in my class. And then we can talk about it like, Oh my gosh, you know, Stein told me this today or on and on and on. We can have conversations. Whereas the other person's like, um, I'm in the class too. Like I already knew that. Right. right. See what I'm saying? I mean, okay. I mean, I'm just, real talk. I would be thrilled if students went back to their dorms and said, you'll never guess what I learned in, in Com 3010 today. No, they I, do. They do. do. They? I yeah. hope that they do. Because I they tell me did. that. Sometimes they, they come in my office and will say something like, well, we were talking about this topic uh -huh. and this came up today and my professor said this. And I'm thinking, awesome. And so sometimes they'll tell me what their perception was of why the professor thought that. Mm. And I'll say, well, what do you think? You know, and it's kind of fun. I mean, we're here to learn. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. So, okay. So it, it, it can put strain on the, uh, on the peer to peer element of it, especially if you're rooming with someone and you're on the same team and maybe even in a town like St. George, mm -hmm. you grew up with this person, right? And so what worries me about it is that 
there's an element of in, independence missing there, right? You almost want to be on your own and get away from that safe zone of people who you already know so that you can do things like make new friends and acquaintances. Right. But tell me, are there are there benefits from from taking a class with a friend or, you know, with your partner or whatever the case? I mean, I'm sure there are. <laughs> I, I, I think you could argue it both ways, honestly. Mm. Um, I, again, some of those same conversations could happen outside of class, but it's really interesting because this may come to a shock as a shock to you, but sometimes college students today are not exactly honest. They sometimes plagiarize or even cheat. Oh no. I know, shock. Oh. And so what happens is I've, I have seen over my career that the propensity or the possibility of that increased academic dishonesty mm. will almost always come from people who have that really close relationship outside of the classroom. Mm -hmm. Because if I only know you as you, we are students in the same class, chances of us being academically dishonest and helping each other cheat or whatever is probably quite low. But if we are really good friends and roommates and on the same team or we work at the right. same place or whatever, and we're in the same classroom, like, hey, help me out here, you know? Right. So I, a lot of the issues that I've dealt with over my career, that's, so I think I think that the, the benefits are probably there, but I think they're fewer. Or less common. Interesting. Oh yeah, I didn't even think about the whole plagiarism thing. Yeah. I really get all my students about plagiarism. I, I I won't lie. So that's just one more thing to get the, get on them about. Um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, the last thing I wanted to bring up, um, and uh, I think this might strike both a professional and a personal note with you because, um, you know, you have, I know you have at least, uh, one kid who's a yep. student here graduating this semester, graduating hopefully. this yeah. semester. That's exciting. Okay. Um, what role do you feel like parents should have as their now adult children venture out of the, the role of being, okay, my house, my rules, like you live under me, I take care of you. What role do you think parents should have as their kids move on to college? And so like what, I guess what I'm asking is, to what extent should or should not parents do the whole helicopter thing? And, and, and okay, what's here's that the thing. Like? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad we're talking about this because parents, if you're listening, let your children be adults. I cannot stress it enough. I don't even call them lawnmower. I mean, I don't call them helicopter parents anymore. I call them lawnmower parents. Really? Um, just get out of the way. I'm clearing a path for my child. They, oh no. They just want to make things. They don't just hover. They, they now in the past two or three years, mm. they just want to make life easy for the, for the kids. Mm. And from what I've seen, unfortunately that has led to extraordinarily um, high rates of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, Yikes. because these students, they don't know how to confront problems or how to address conflict because their parents have always done it for them. Right. So they don't even know how to do it. They, if they're having a problem with a professor, who calls the professor? The parent. Who calls mm. the dean of students? The parent. Mm. Then the parent's mad when I say, I'm sorry, FERPA rule, I can't speak to you about this. Right. Yeah. It's not you know, high school uh -huh. anymore. Yeah. And so then the parents different. get mad. Well, I signed the FERPA form. I'm like, yeah, but your son or daughter took it off. And so they, you know, and they get really upset. So my advice would be parents support, but let them, let your, you kind of, I, I call it, when I talk to parents, I call it the, the three bears, the Goldilocks analogy, mm. not too much, not too little, just right. We need to, because parents that are calling their kids three, four or five times a day, too much. That's too much. And then other parents are like, well, they talk to their child and say, yeah, and just, oh, sorry, I haven't spoken to you, but I wanted you know, dad's going to be okay. It looks like he's going to survive. The kid's like, what? <laughs> 
I haven't talked to my mom for three months and my dad almost died. Wow. You know, it's too little. So you got to right. kind of find that just right. And, uh, but let the, let the students learn to adult, let them be resilient and learn to cope on their own. Yeah. And we actually talked about resiliency just a, a couple of weeks ago with a different guest. Um, I, I want to stay here. We, we do have a few minutes left, so I want to stay in this, in this realm in talking about the, the role that, you know, new budding adult students have with their parents because, um, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just on that because we talked about attachment theory in my class mm -hmm. today, but these are really the first bonds that we form as children and as, as toddlers with our primary caregiver. And so I think about as we move on into adulthood, that initial attachment is going to then later inform those relationships. So what role do you think students can play in this? Uh, not just because, you know, parents, okay, great. Be supportive, not too much, not too little Goldilocks zone, right? What about the students? How can a student who let's say has an overbearing parent what are some, maybe some messages that they can deliver to that parent to let them know, I need my adult space and my independence, my autonomy. I love this. This is, this is what I deal with literally every day. <laughs> okay. And so the students will come in and say, you know, either I need my mom to do more and she won't, or it's like my mom's doing too much and how do I tell her to get out of my life, right? Right. Because I love her and I, I love my parents, but I don't want them to do this, that, and the other. Right. So we have to kind of role play and say, okay, what is it and how do you communicate it? Mm -hmm. So first of all, boundaries. You have to have boundaries. And so it's okay to say, mom, thanks so much for doing that. I think I got this. And uh, let me try it on my own. And if I can't, I'll let you know. Right? Okay. I'll reach out to you. So you kind of put that boundary up and I tell the students, let's practice that a little bit. And so I'll say, I'll play the parent because <laughs> okay. I am one. And uh, we kind of will role play in my office just a little bit about how what those conversations will mm -hmm. look like based upon what the student wants. Okay. Because again, every student's different. So by establishing those boundaries and then also saying, hey mom, I don't know if we need to talk you know, five times a day, <laughs> maybe just like every night I can shoot you a text and let you know how my day's going or right. whatever. Start, start there and and uh, establish the boundaries. Okay, so what I'm hearing is specificity matters, right? Be very specific with these requests. Um, you know, I remember when I was in college, I had some friends whose, luckily my parents were, were, were good about giving me space, but you know, I had some friends whose, whose parents were quite overbearing because they were nervous, right? Because they were going through kind of the whole empty nest syndrome mm -hmm. at, you know, their kid was away for the first time. And so, uh, you know, they were often struggling with this idea of like, I want to, tell my parents, leave me alone without telling them to leave me alone, like yeah, without being offensive. Their feelings. Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tough balance to strike. And, um, you know, I think fortunately most parents have the, the best interests for their kids in mind. And I think that most students understand that their parents only want to help. So I think it's, uh, kind of like what we were talking about with the whole dating thing. It, it really comes down to directness and how specific can you make the message to set up those boundaries that you're talking about, but to also maybe uh, d deliver them with an empathetic tone to let them know like, hey, th I'm not asking for this space because I hate you. I'm asking for this space because I need time to be autonomous. I need time to be an adult. This is the first chance I've had to do that. And I want you to be excited about giving me that space. Is that close? Yeah, because I think what's happened is, like I said, with increased rates of depression and suicide and suicidal ideation, mm -hmm. Children today, college students today have, have been on this high level of like constantly good and everything's happy mm -hmm. right, all the time. Mm -hmm. And then the second that things get hard or the student's a little sad and there's a dip in that, in that progression, then the parents swoop in and keep everything happy, right? They keep everything good. Right. So then the student's going along and all of a sudden they come to college, right? So now we're way down here. Adversity. Uh, and it's 
they and then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm super depressed or I'm super this. When really that could be part of it, but maybe it's just hard, yeah. and maybe you've never dealt with it before. So, being letting. Uh, their parents know, as you said, being very specific, communicating effectively, setting those boundaries, having a plan, um, but also reaching out to help from other people. So they can say to their parents, you know what? I appreciate that insight, but I actually talked to my professor and he gave me some really good advice. Oh, or, you know what? I actually hmm. talked to my dean and he taught me some cool, cool stuff too. Did like, he? Yeah. <laughs> I think that that would bring parents a lot of peace mm -hmm. knowing that like, Hey, there are other authority figures out here too, who are also looking out for me and that I, I, I exist in an establishment that's designed for my success. And so I think maybe some parents might need reminding in that, in that realm. And yeah. so it would be good as students to do that, to remind our parents that, Hey, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. We're doing all right. And you know, it's interesting all summer. Uh, I stay here most of the summer and speak every week to groups of parents. And that's the thing after they leave, they, they'll say, thank you so much. We feel much better now about sending our child here from wherever mm -hmm. they're coming from, California, Arizona, Las Vegas, yeah. Idaho, because I know there are people that can help them. Yeah. Well, I get the feeling that as time goes by, there are more and more and more parents that you'll be speaking to. I know, you know, <laughs> we got some big things coming up yep. here at the university. We got some big things coming up here on the podcast too, as we get ready for the summer and season three, but that's going to put a bow on season two. Thank you so hey, much. My pleasure. VP Beatty for joining us. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, in the last few seconds, I just want to say thank you for two amazing seasons. Our viewership, it continues to grow. I appreciate it. If there's something you want us to talk about for season three, we're still making plans. So hit us up on any social media platform. We're happy to deal with it. But for now, I wish everybody a great end of semester and a happy graduation. Take care, y'all. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.